Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Today, some of you may be wondering why we are live at 2 p.m., but we have a very good reason for that. Today's guest uh, is joining us, uh, calling in from the U.K., and is a psychologist, um, expert, specializing in positive psychology, um, and a professor at the Center for Positive Psychology and Health, um, and has a number of awards and accolades to her credit. I'm pleased to introduce to you Dr. Yolanta Burke. Uh, Welcome, Yolanta. Um, Thank you so much for having me on your show, Brian. It's wonderful to be here. Well, glad to have you. Um, so I have to tell you, you know, as we started talking before we went live, um, so with this show, um, and, and those of you tuning in, you know, today's show is called Turn It Off, How Powering Off Your Smart Device Can Help You. And so I have a number of people who have already either, either texted me or emailed or, you know, sent in through the studio uh, questions, but but have commented that um, I already know I can't do that, you know, things like that. And, and so it was one funny exchange with a colleague this morning. I can tell you the answer already, 100% no, I can't do it. And so um, we're going to get to talking about some of your advice with that, but I'm very interested. I know you've, you've authored um, eight books and um, – and a lot of your work is around well-being, and um, and so a couple hundred articles you've written. Uh, so I'm just really interested. First, tell me a little bit about uh, the research you're doing and the work you do, kind of on a day-to-day basis in this area of uh, positive psychology. Um, so a lot of the work that I do um, has to do with how to enhance our well-being, so different ways to do it. And I'm always looking for the sustainable well-being rather than uh, just uh, one-stop interventions. Um, so, for example, the research that you met, you've mentioned, Brian, um, it's, it was really looking at that sustainable well-being because a lot of uh, positive psychology interventions are fun to do. So things like um, gratitude, cutting your blessings, or mm-hmm. uh, savoring, mm-hmm. um, or even acts of kindness. They are fun things to do, and they do boost our well-being. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, not long-term. So we okay. often get bored with these activities very quickly. We can't repeat them every day um, sure. for a longer period of time. And this means that we will give up very quickly. And then whenever our well-being goes a little bit lower, we want to pick ourselves up. And that, that's when we re-engage with positive psychology interventions. But I'm sure. really after kind of um, sustainable well-being interventions that would allow me to, oh, sorry, my little boy has just run into the room. 
No, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I'm, I'm really after the sustainable well-being interventions that would allow us to continue with our well-being. And the best way to do it is to come up with something that people want to do every day. Like, for example, yeah. switch off your phone or not walk into your bedroom with your phone. And what yeah. impact could this have on your well-being? Yes, yes. Well, you know, and I, I do want to talk about that in just a moment. And I know that you have, as I said, you, you've authored uh, to the audience uh, that might be listening in, um, you've, you've authored eight books. And one of them is something called The Ultimate Guide to Implementing Wellbeing Programs for School. A number of people that listen in are school leaders um, and, and uh, district-level leaders. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about kind of like the, the big picture of what you suggest here? Because I'm sure that there are going to be a number of people that are going to want to read more about that and go out and get this because uh, this is something that's very uh, important right now. Uh, there are a lot of people who are actually looking for ways to increase um, feelings of well-being. Yes, and I, I have to say that this was one of my um, favorite books to write. I loved writing it. And my the reason for even wanting to write it were the emails I've received um, for years from uh, teachers, um, school leaders, or anybody associated with schools. They were confused. They didn't really know what to do because there, there are so many different messages coming left, right, and center, um, telling them that they should introduce maybe gratitude activity, or maybe they should go with character strengths, or maybe they should just do yoga um, uh, or meditation, and they just didn't see that bigger picture. So um, at the time when I was thinking about the book, when I even uh, proposed it to Rutledge, um, I... I was really, um, I, I was, a, I was a, a program director for the Masters in Applied Positive Psychology at the University of East London. And um, I, I, I really don't exaggerate when I say uh, at least um, twice per month, uh, sometimes even once a week, I would get emails like this. So mm -hmm. I suggested that perhaps I would just write this one um, um book that would describe some of my thinking about it and um, help people understand what the bigger picture of well-being is and help people choose to do what's best for their schools. Because mm, in my email to everybody, whoever came back to me, I kept repeating the same things over and over again. And this is to, not to take programs on board, just any program. Because that's, that was, that's what was happening in many schools or people were contacting me saying that uh, they have an opportunity to introduce a specific well-being program. Should I go ahead with it? Yes, but yes, there's yes. really, I don't like these programs that are made up and they are implemented to, you know, thousands of schools around the world um, because every school is so unique. Every yes. school community is so unique. And I always felt that if um, leaders and teachers know the bigger picture, they could perhaps make wise choices as to what is right for their community and mm -hmm. then use some of the resources that are out there to uh, perhaps um, help them 
flesh it out a little bit. But the, the, the tools will only be just help. And the, the real well-being comes from the community caring and coming together and um, deciding what they believe um, they need to do in order to uh, grow their strengths, work on their strengths rather than focusing on weaknesses, what's wrong with them. Sure, sure. You know, I want to explore just a little bit because, you know, we I've had probably a dozen or more uh, researchers such as yourself that have in one way or another, either it's been in the area of positive psychology or they have been engaged in work that is intended to uh, create a better sense of well-being among participants in a particular program or um, just just advocating for uh, us to pay attention to our well-being, various ways, just as you said. So I'm just, as you mentioned, it's, it's interesting because uh, one of my colleagues, program associate in, in, my, uh, in my unit, um, after one of the shows, we, we shared that we had, because one of the guests had suggested the one that you talked about, which was thankfulness and or being grateful. And so just kind yeah. of waking up and before you do anything, right where you are, when your eyes open, um, just saying three things in your head that you're grateful for. Interestingly, later on, we went on to talk about it and and the practice. And it's just like everything else that we've encountered is that once you you condition your brain to do it, it it yeah. is, it really kind of feels funny when you don't. Like you notice when you you miss it, yeah. and so it was just it's a fascinating brain science piece for me. But I do want to explore a little bit this topic or this construct of well being, because the program that I uh, am the director of and professor in. Um, prepares school leaders uh, in difficult contexts. Um, so these are aspiring um, principals, and yeah. they and so one one central tenet of the program is uh, self awareness training, but also social emotional learning and yeah. wellness. You know, we we've just started talking about wellness and constructs like contentment. And and these, for the most part, are really new to us in in training and university settings, um, particularly in leadership. Um, I mean, we've been doing it now for over a decade, but um, just now it's hitting the mainstream. And I don't want to make the assumption that everybody knows what you know we mean by wellness. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what your unit. Um, what you're doing and what you, you know, kind of your operating definition of wellness is for for your top your your subjects. Yeah, so the, the, it's really interesting what you said about um, you starting to talk about well-being about ten years ago, and now it's coming into the mainstream kind of way of thinking and. Um, People are discussing it openly, and yes, teachers and uh, school leaders do discuss it openly. But one of my students, um, uh, graduate students, um, has carried out a 
study trying to figure out what their attitude towards teaching well-being was. Because as you said, we don't actually teach teachers well-being. If they want to find out more about well-being, they, they usually uh, maybe do a degree in psychology. Yeah. And what transpired was exactly this. Um, teachers who were supposed to be teaching well-being in schools were confused about the bigger picture when asked what models were you using, what approaches you were using, were you using, they actually couldn't uh, articulate that. And um, they were just saying, this is what the type of things that we talk about. Um, so there is definite lack of knowledge, at least in Europe, um, about um, what is well-being in schools, how can we um, conceptualize it before we actually start doing the how of well-being. And um, so, so, so I think that um, from my perspective, um, well-being is um, a community um, event or a community thing. It's not something that we should be focusing on individuals to do. So I think that definitely we need to involve as many people that are part of the community in um, well-being as possible because we may, the teachers may um, know about, um, I don't know, character strengths, how to help students to their strengths, but students go home and their parents might actually undo some of the things that they have just learned. So wouldn't it be so much better to involve everybody and everybody knowing what students are being taught in school about well-being? Um, so that's one aspect of it, about the curriculum and what type of content do we, um, do we talk about um, during our classes in school? How can we involve everybody in our community to do it? Um, but the second very important aspect of well-being, I think, is the organic well-being, I call it. So it's really that well-being that comes from either the pedagogy of well-being. So this would be um, more to do with um, teachers teaching in a way that's inclusive, that makes students feel good about themselves, that doesn't put them under pressure. Um, unnecessarily, uh, but I'm not saying that pressure is completely bad in, at all times, but it is kind of a more inclusive um, uh, pedagogy that would embrace students. But also, I'm really for teachers um, looking after their well-being, and yes, they are part of the community, but um, when we think of the community, we often, um, the teachers are the, the media through which um, um, well-being happens, but we don't think of them as the important group of people um, to look after well-being. And um, there was a very interesting study a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, um, about the impact of teachers' well-being on students. And what this study uh, showed was that um, when teachers experience depression, anxiety, their students had a really bad experience themselves. They were upset much more so than when teachers experienced higher levels of well-being. And vice mm -hmm. versa, the, the students that were performing well and feeling good themselves were actually reported that their teachers were also reporting higher levels of well-being. So teachers, and I, I, I would never blame teachers for creating atmosphere. We don't actually know whether, like, what was the cause and effect of all this. There is a possibility that students maybe were a little bit down, and as a result, teachers were reacting to them. All we know is that there was a correlation there. 
Um, but there is definitely a link. This is a, an ecosystem that we cannot ignore. So I always look at well-being as this big and that we need to um, work with rather than teaching individuals um, well-being skills. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, you, what you pointed to about uh, the impact that it has on students kind of indirectly when teachers uh, have a higher sense of well-being, what happens to the students? And I think the same applies when you start talking about school building leaders and having yeah. an awareness as well and a focus on that. You know, um, um, you know well-being is a very strong component of you taking care of yourself too, you know, like just really knowing and, and, and placing value on how you feel and what your needs are, both kind of your physical needs in terms of comfort and otherwise, but also psychological and social needs as well. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense, but it's just really um, unfortunate that, you know, so much time has passed that we, we are just now just scratching the surface around yeah. the concept of, of well-being. You know, we hear it, and a lot of times people talk about it and, and sometimes talk about it uh, without realizing that there's a, a large body of research and work that has been going on for decades and decades, right, that, um, that have to do with the, the kinds of things that you can do, which is, there is, is why today's topic is, is important because it is a kind of well-being. You know, the first article that I read um, that you wrote, um, and we'll come back to this, it was actually um, earlier this year about um, uh, reasons you feel stress, why when you feel stress, and when you're trying to relax. You feel stress trying to relax, right? And so I just think that one of the best things that we can do whether we're in leadership roles or others, um, is to arm ourselves with the information, like try to understand it, what is happening yeah. to us when it happens. And, and so, you know, um, a lot has shifted. And, um, and so we have, I know some of the work that you've also been doing is around the impact of smart devices on kind of our behavior and our well-being as well, and yes. is why I wanted to invite you on because so many people reacted also to this, but the idea of how you just powering down, not looking at the screen, not being glued to a screen for a certain amount of time can actually help you. So first, let's start, let's start out. Tell me a little bit about the research piece and then I'd love to hear what some of your recommendations are that came out of it. First of all, let me just let me just say something that's very very important. Um, you mentioned earlier about this, somebody contacting you saying that they are panicking, even thinking about switching off their devices. And I have to say yes. that um, <laughs> it's not unusual. And I don't. I don't have a phone addiction, but it happened to me on a few occasions when I left my phone behind and I felt naked. <laughs> I uh -huh. felt uh -huh. really off. I missed it really badly. And um, many hours passed by and as I was coming closer to seeing my phone again, I was really happy. And one thing that I was 
scared of. It's missing out on important things. So I, I emailed many of my friends or people I expected to contact me just to let them know that I wouldn't be available on, on the phone. So this is quite a normal reaction to something that we have to have that, that we have relied on so much and phone is um phone is our friend and i've done some mm-hmm. other research apart from the research you're talking about which looked at the positive effect of smartphones uh-huh. and um, fascinating actually because we talk so much about the negative effect of it and we got used to um the fact that we the phone is bad for us so um even in my research about the positive impact on the smartphone when i ask people directly what is the positive impact of on on, on your smartphone uh of your smartphone on your well-being and uh, the majority of people uh, left this question blank they did not uh-huh. believe that it had any positive impact on them but when i asked them to complete a survey that asked them about specific um thoughts about their phone, specific uh, behaviors associated with them, it transpired that a lot of them, and we are talking here about the vast majority of participants, um, had a really good relationship with their phone, and they found it really useful. Um, they they talked about um, um, the, their smartphone helping them satisfy their sense of curiosity about the world because we can do it so quickly nowadays. We just, um, if, if somebody says something, if we hear something on TV, we just grab our phone, check it quickly, and we learn. So it also helps us accomplish goals, makes us feel much more supported. And it's really good for people who are lonely because this is their connection to the world often. Um, and in general, it helps us feel we belong. So there are great benefits of having a phone. But the issue with a phone is when, firstly, when we are overusing it or uh, getting too addicted to it. So this is, we're talking here only about a small percentage of the society, about 6% of people have phone addiction. Mm. Um, and the vast majority of us use our phones between two to about six hours a day. And that is okay. But then the challenge with the phone is doing it shortly before going to bed because whatever we read on our screens is whatever we are going to sleep with. So you read about Donald Trump and you'll be sleeping with Donald Trump. You read about the war, sleeping with the war. You know, all these stuff stay with us and they disturb our sleep uh, quality. Yeah. So that's really the issue about overusing it and not using it perhaps at the, at specific times we're supposed to rest. Not to mention the blue light, obviously, which um, also disturbs our sleep patterns. So, um, if, like looking even at some research about book reading, reading a book before going to bed is brilliant for our sleep, but reading it on a Kindle device. Um, delays our sleep by approximately 30 minutes. So the same applies to the phone. And this is why we decided to um, do this experiment and, and ask people not to bring their phone into the bedroom. So switch it off, but maybe about um, an hour beforehand, but don't even bring it into the bedroom for just one week. And um, we found some absolutely amazing results. We expected that there would be a, a, some increase. Now, the increase wasn't huge, but there was an increase within just one week of people's quality of life. Their well-being uh, was also uh, higher. 
Mm-hmm. Um, those who had a, we, we measured also the risk of getting a phone addiction, um, and they have um, all that on average there was a decline in the risk of getting a phone addiction, which is brilliant as well. Um, mm-hmm. But the most amazing findings, I think, were the, was the qualitative uh, part of the research when we asked them. In your words, describe what happened to you in the last week. And mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that people mentioned was m- my um, sleep has improved. I actually sleep better. I had a better quality sleep. Um, they felt that they wasted less time. Uh, they felt um, they, it reduced many of people's uh, anxieties. And also many people mentioned that the relationship with the partner has improved. Mm-hmm. So a lot of lovely benefits, these qualitative benefits, too, but that were just wonderful to hear. Yes, yes, and and so I guess our our takeaway is just that um, just a little bit of time, kind of deliberate time away from the smart devices, can contribute to uh, a more healthy um, kind of social life, but just overall. Um, healthy uh, outlook and well-being as well. So, so just just balance it out. So don't get rid of your uh, technology um, because it's there for a reason um, and it's very useful and it gives us also the sense of safety. We need to have a phone sometimes um, by our by our side um, and it's a great connection. So don't forget about the positive. Um, mm-hmm. And all the benefits of, of having a phone. Um, but uh, also, if you feel that something is off, that maybe your well-being is a little bit off, that perhaps you're feeling anxious or you can't go to sleep, just do something. And that something could be um, not taking your phone into your bedroom. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, just as we are, we are wrapping up a bit, I, you know, I'd love to hear um, your thoughts. Um, we, you know, I've, had, as I've mentioned, several people on, and we talk about people, whether they're multitasking or otherwise, but as it relates to smart devices, um, the, the dilemma comes up often about people such as the ones that have written and said that they're experiencing anxiety just thinking about it, um, but the dilemma comes up often around um, how much use um, is too much use. I mean, you talked about the, the, the blue light and what, and what yeah. have you, but, um, you know, there are people who spend a lot of time in front, you know, like they, they read on their devices. They, um, you know, of course they exchange, you know, I think about days that I'm traveling, um, you know, I'm, I'm hours and hours on the smart device versus being in front of a computer or, um, but just so that I can return emails or what have you. Um, it, any advice around how much is too much? Um, I know we're talking about at various times is more where you, you shared, but how, how much, and I know you're saying balance is a good idea, but, you know, balance, if you're saying five hours on, five hours off, that still would make people very nervous. So what, yes. how much time do you think is, is reasonable? And then the second part is going back to the person who 
just feels like they cannot power down their device. Um, what does that suggest if they're feeling that anxious? Are there some unhealthy patterns that have, have developed there as well? Well, to answer your question, I actually start with something um, that I have recently read, um, a very interesting book by Benjamin, Benjamin Spall and Michael Zander, and it's about my morning routine and how successful people start every day inspired. And I have just, I've just finished this book, a little booklet um, that asks, well, what, how do you, how do you, what do you do in the morning? Um, and I, one thing I've noticed in the pattern as I was reading was that the vast majority of them do not look at their phone. Consciously, they don't look at their phone uh, in the first half an hour uh, after getting up. But then there were also a good few people who said that this is how they start their day. They mm-hmm. either ring to their, their office and check maybe um, whether there are any messages for them. They check their emails. They respond to some um, uh, texts. And, and this is how they start. And that's okay for them, too. The same with mm-hmm. my uh, the first message I've mentioned. Some of the people that spent eight hours on their phone were flourishing psychologically. Uh-huh. Um, so there are no patterns. We, uh, with research, all we can do is talk about averages. So on average, people would use their phone between two to six hours. However, you may actually have somebody using it longer and having a really good relationship with their phone. So the phone is not annoying them. They are not addicted to it. But they cannot live without it. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say, Keep it up. If that's what works for you, keep it up. But I, I would always ask people, are you controlling the phone or is the phone controlling you? And if mm. it's the phone is controlling you, that's when you need to make a change. If you can make this change by yourself, you can actually leave your phone behind for an hour. Even go outside for a walk without your phone. Um, yes. You don't have to do it um, for many, many hours and torture yourself. Um, but if you can do it, that's great. Start even small. Try it for 10 minutes and increase it. Um, but don't force yourself um, just because the research has said so. Because for you, eight hours on the phone could be great. For another person, mm-hmm. two hours on the phone could be great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really can't do anything about it, um, then I would definitely get some help because there is a six of people for whom it is addiction and addiction is really really hard and um, they would they would possibly need help with it so I would definitely get help if possible awesome thank you thank you so much so I know I've shared uh, one of your books but please by all means please share um, with us your uh, how we might follow you on social media circles any new books or articles that you have out that would be uh, that you would um, you would recommend that you you have? And I forgot to mention um, uh, for those of you listening, uh, Dr. Burke is a regular contributor to Psychology Today, and um, so if you are in that field and you you have access to that um, publication, um, you can find some of her work there. Um, but also um, a congratulations is in order uh, that um, being acknowledged by the Irish Times as one of the 30 people who make Ireland a better place. So 
um, congratulations for that distinction. So, um, oh, I'm to read it, I have to say, thank you so much. Um, so I, I guess the, uh, the my latest book is the book about a hundred plus research-based positive psychology and lifestyle medicine tools uh, for enhancing well-being, and it will be published by Rutledge um, in August. Um, but it's available uh, for pre-order now on Amazon and really online, anywhere online. Um, and um, if I may just mention also the university where I work in, it's the University of Medicine, RCSI University of Medicine. We do have free online courses. We have over 40,000 people around the world that have already signed up to them. So this is a 10-week course from um, um, a few of my colleagues from RCSI, and it's called The Science of Health and Happiness. So uh, if anybody would like to learn a little bit more about um, how to enhance their well-being through the um, science of positive psychology and lifestyle medicine, um, please feel um, free to go to RCSI um, University of Medicine. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you for uh, this conversation. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure people listening in did. Um, just wishing you great success on your book release and with your research. Uh, be listening in and, and, and reading about the work that you're doing. Um, so um, until we hear from you and, and read about you, uh, go well, stay well. Thank you very much for having me.